I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Contraception is not a small matter, and having access to it can change the course of people's lives. So when Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas stated in his concurring opinion in the Dobbs decision that the highest court in the land should reconsider rulings that codify rights into contraception, that made a lot of people anxious. Right now, Tennesseans still have access to contraception, but the process can be confusing. And for some folks, the cost is difficult. Today, we're bringing you a special Citizen Nashville to answer your questions about contraception and direct you to resources meant to help. But first, last week, Nashville Mayor John Cooper unveiled a new plan to redevelop the east bank of the Cumberland River. An 81-page proposal pictures a whole new neighborhood, leafy streets lined with picturesque shops, bike paths, wide sidewalks, the whole nine yards. Some big things aren't in the plan, like whether the Titans will be getting a new stadium. And who are the people and where are the people riding those bikes and strolling along those new streets? Where are they going to live? Here to explain the plan and what's happening next is WPLN Metro reporter Ambriel Crutchfield. Ambriel, how's it going? It's going well. What's good? You know, I'm doing all right. It's, <laughs> it's Tuesday. Thanks for being here. So, you know, Ambriel, catch our listeners up. What's happening on the east bank of the Cumberland and how does Mayor Cooper's proposal, how does that fit in? Okay, so I'm better at landmarks, so <laughs> at like describing things with landmarks. So we're talking about the area by the Titan Stadium where it used to be like that German restaurant over there, Shoney's, all that kind of area uh, where the juvenile center is. He's wanting to turn this area into a neighborhood, which is mainly like right now a lot of parking lots and industrial things. The city owns quite a bit of land over there, but um, there are also some parts that are privately owned. And um, a lot of the pictures that we can see right now is just what the streetscape is going to be like, like buses having their own kind of lane to zip by Mm -hmm. and then wider sidewalks, like you mentioned. Um, They've also talked about certain amenities like a Tennessee Performing Arts Center being there, some housing, parks and maybe even a high school going there. Okay, so, I mean, that sounds pretty good. What, um, and I want to apologize to everybody. We were talking about tacos before the show got started. I (laughs) accidentally thought it was Tuesday. It's Wednesday. (laughs) So, you know, what parts of the plan that maybe look nice on paper, but there are questions about how this is going to work exactly? Yeah, so when it comes to the housing, right now they're planning to go back to the mayor's affordable housing task force to kind of talk to them, like, what those details will look like. But right now they don't even have like how many units we're setting out to do, maybe like what the price range of those would be. And just from like previous reporting I've done, like at River Chase, for example, those have been really key things to help kind of structure financially everything else you do around those housing numbers. So that's something that's still um, out there. And then also um, they said that equity is a really important part of this. And we're talking about building a whole neighborhood. So uh, contractors, they talked about contractors of color maybe getting in there. But when it comes to the framework and like the requirements and how to make sure they're getting the contracts, there were no details on that part either yet. Mm -hmm. Now, I mentioned at the top of the segment that the plan doesn't address whether the Titans are going to get a new stadium. Why not? Yeah. Well, one thing I that kept being reiterated to me that I want to reiterate is that this is like, you know, just setting out an ideal uh, kind of thing and working out the kinks as we work through it. I mean, it has been like a year and some change of them already doing what we uh, have unveiled. But when it comes to the Titan Stadium, we're still <laughs> as a city trying to figure out if we're going to keep what we have and just like do some repairs or if we're going to rebuild not rebuild, but build a whole new one with a dome on it. The state is in support of doing some with the dome on it. They've put some money up for it. 
Um, and yeah, there's there been some kind of interesting things that have come to light. The Nashville Business Journal actually just has an article out talking about that years ago, the city gave up right to develop on the parking lots. Um, which is where the whole neighborhood would be. So the article says this is one reason the mayor wants to renegotiate the lease with the Titans. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, Councilmember, or actually recently, Councilmember Bob Mendez was kind of pointing out that at the beginning of the year, the mayor was, you know, kind of putting together the neighborhood in the Titans Stadium. But over time, the messaging has kind of separated them out. And when we've asked questions about that, the mayor is like, the Titan Stadium is one component of this neighborhood. Okay. It's not the whole thing. But when you look at pictures of it, it's integral in both parts. Like, it's just a matter of are we shifting it a little bit towards the interstate or not? Is there anything else that seems to be missing from this new plan? Um, I think that those are the main things at this point. I mean, we have talked a little bit about the environmental um, part of things since it is on the river. And that's more like Caroline, uh, our environmental reporter, her territory. But she's brought up some interesting things. I want to ask you about that in a minute. But first, you know, the mayor's office said when it unveiled the plan, it uh, had it had already done community outreach. Who did they talk to? Yeah. So um, they've been doing they started doing community outreach in February of 2021. Um, a lot in East Nashville, but some of the groups that they've also presented to are like the Rotary Club, Walk Bike Nashville, the Econ Club, uh, Maxwell Heights Neighborhood Association, the Neighborhood Advisory Committee that they've put together. And, you know, if you don't know what those groups are, like they're mainly people that have business or have a lot of power or are homeowners. So um, a lot of the conversation has been centered around that. They do have a lot of dates coming up for community engagement. Um, and I was kind of just noticing that a lot of them were in East Nashville, even though this um, neighborhood is pitched as something that benefits the whole county. Mm -hmm. um, and what was told to me is just like if other neighborhoods, like neighborhood associations, wanted them to come out, they would. But obviously that kind of puts the onus on the neighborhood association to reach out and invite them. And also that means that I guess technically it's going to be homeowners, people that are a certain class, um, maybe that are doing the inviting and getting the details who are some other folks who may have missed out on the process? Um, well, that I, I guess mainly it would be people that um, are renters, potentially. I mean, I don't know. The, I haven't been to those meetings myself, so I don't know the demographics of who's kind of showing up. But uh, just based on the lineup, it seems like a lot of homeowners and uh, business kind of people. Now, on the environmental front, our colleague Caroline Eggers has done some reporting on how this new planned neighborhood sits in a floodplain. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what she's found. Yes. Yeah, so she was uh, we act, <laughs> and the environment is a tricky thing. Mm -hmm. I'm learning the ropes from her. So she was kind of laying out to me that, like, it's bad that the development is going into the floodplain. But at the very least, it should avoid the floodplain or at least the part that is in the 100 year part. And if we've looked back at like city maps of when we flooded in 2010, this area was like soaked like it was mm -hmm. it was crazy. Um, and so she was, you know, mentioning that. We should be looking into mitigating things that will make sure we're preserving the natural environment. Um, and also, she was just saying that the city uh, mentioned that the Corps of Engineers greenlit the concept, but this is also the same entity that signed off on the oil pipeline over Memphis water. So kind of tricky. Okay. Now, you noted in your coverage last week that this plan seems like a big a bit of a shift for the mayor. He ran three years ago focusing on neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Now he's pushing for a big development downtown why do you think that is? Yeah, so I do want to say that, that Cooper would say that this is consistent with focusing on neighborhoods and that he thinks all Nashville residents are going to benefit. Like they're planning to put in this road that would help with north-south 
the north-south kind of corridor being able to uh, get through a little bit easier. But, um, you know, this is a chance for the mayor to do something from scratch. Like, you know, right now, the way that city development works, if we want to put in sidewalks or whatever, we're having to go like little inch by inch Mm -hmm. versus this. We can just kind of like create uh, from the ground up. The timing of the Titans stadium uh, gives him a perfect moment to kind of have a splashy big moment um, of something that he can say he put his name behind, especially because the seat for mayor is up next year. Um, So for all those reasons, and also just kind of putting into context, his first term has been a lot of response mode because of uncontrollable reasons, the pandemic, and that put a strain on the city's finances. And so we do see deals that he's done to kind of piecemeal projects like buying Kicker Hollow Mall or building a new Hillwood High School. But uh, this is kind of a moment for him to... I don't know. Get a, get a nice name, nice project. <laughs> mm-hmm. I definitely would like to see more sidewalks. Um, so what's next? What's next? Yes. Yeah. So on September 14th, the Titans and the mayor's office are going to be presenting to the East Bank Committee. That committee is made up of council members from different parts of town. Um, council member Mendez says he thinks that the Titans deal will be announced then. And then things will start to kind of pick up steam. We'll get analysis of the deal and the potential economic impact. Um, Blaze Ganey, one of our colleagues, has actually done some reporting that showed that it isn't going to be beneficial to uh, Nashvilleians as far as like the jobs and things that it'll create. Um, but the mayor's office has pushed back against that. And at the end of the year or the beginning of next, we'll get a vote on if we're getting a green light on this or not. Okay. Ambrielle Crutchfield is WPLN's Metro reporter. Ambrielle, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. And thank you for your reporting. For sure. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're bringing you a special Citizen Nashville episode all about contraception. What questions do you have? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We've talked a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. So a few times a month, we're bringing you a special hour we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, round up resources for you, and to make sure our leaders hear your needs loud and clear. Today, we're talking about birth control, from the pill to condoms to IUDs. We live in a post-Roe v. Wade world, and although the Supreme Court decision did not affect a person's right to birth control, it did raise a lot of questions about what's to come. Later this hour, we're going to answer those questions, and it's not too late to send them in. Tweet us at ThisIsNashville. First, we'd invited a panel of women to share their personal experiences. My guests are Belmont senior Molly Fox, Franklin High School senior Allison Nordstrom, and Bernicia McFerrin, esthetician and mother of three. Thanks to you all for being here today. Welcome to This is Nashville. So let me start. I'd like to start by talking to each of you about how you've learned about contraception, if we can. Molly, can you get us started? Uh, Hi. I learned about it personally um, through my mom. I didn't really have any sisters growing up. I didn't have any like immediate um, female relatives but her. So I really had no choice but to go through her. And I'm very lucky that she was open about stuff like that. But um, 
I went to private Catholic school, so there was really truly no education about things like uh, contraceptives. I was like completely lost until I, I don't know what an IUD was until I was 17. So I mean, truly I'm lucky to have a family member outside of that to teach me. Bernicia, how about you? Yes, so I was introduced because I actually ended up being pregnant at 15 years old. And um, the moment that I had my baby, that was something that was, I wouldn't say forced, but they definitely were saying, you need to get on this. Um, and since having a baby at a teenage, um, at a teenage age, yes, that's how I started my birth control journey. Now, Allison, what's the sex ed curriculum? What's that like in high school now? So pretty much um, the sex ed curriculum is freshman year. Um, you it's in joint with like your PE classes and like dare um, all those sorts of like nutritious food, those programs. And if I remember correctly, I think we had maybe one day on it where our teachers pretty much just showed us STD pictures and said, don't have sex. And that was about the gist of it. Hmm. That's not very extensive. Now, you are one of the founders of a group called Teens for Reproductive Rights, which you started around the time the draft opinion from the Supreme Court was leaked. You know, what motivated you and your friends to form this group? So what motivated us was the draft decision and also just the anger and sadness that came from that, that knowing that we weren't going to have this right anymore and that our mothers and family members weren't going to have this right anymore. Um, and that we wanted to do something about it. And we weren't just going to stand around and be quiet. You know, what's the reception been like since you started the group? Um, it's been really good, really positive. Um, we've had a lot of people reach out to us, say they want to get involved, lots of teens and adults. We've seen our social media grow and double um, in the amount of followers and the amount of people who go on our website and reach out to us. Um, we've had peers at our schools say that they're proud of us and that they wish they could do something like this. What type of events have you guys organized? So, so far we've done a rock concert called Rock for Reproductive Rights, where we had five musicians come and play at the Planned Parenthood parking lot on a stage to help raise money for Abortion Care Tennessee. Um, we actually drew in um, just under 300 people and was able to raise close to $5,000, which was super amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Molly, you mentioned that you talked to your mom about sex ed and contraception. But, you know, were, were those conversations easy for the two of you to have? Um, I've always really had a close relationship. I'm very lucky because um, with my family's dynamic, I wasn't really close with anyone but her. And um, she is a teacher by nature. She's very maternal. It's very easy to be open with her, even if you aren't related to her. It was almost kind of comforting because I had nowhere else to go. Like I said, growing up in the conservative Midwest, I was just so blindsided. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yes, it kind of was a sense of comfort. I really guess there's no other way to describe it. Safety almost. Did your peers have that ability to talk with their parents as well? Uh, some. There were some who I would like ask them questions about it and talk to them and they would like flip or they wouldn't know what I was talking about or be like, oh, how dare you? Like, there was definitely a lot of judgment until I came to Belmont, until I came to Nashville. Mm -hmm. But I'm lucky I got to leave that environment. Now, Bernicia, did you have those talks at home growing up? 
I did not necessarily have those talks. I remember a talk that me and my mom did have. And it mainly it was she said to do it when I was ready, you know, to not be pressured into it by a guy. Mm -hmm. That was probably as much as we talked about. Mm -hmm. Allison, how about you? Yeah, both my parents are completely open um, about talking to stuff like this with me. Um, I definitely knew the base information that I needed to at a young age. And I was also put in um, a weekend sort of conference called Made by God at my church that went over all different kinds of contraceptions, um, different options so that we all had the correct information that we needed. Now, where are your peers getting their information from generally? I think a lot of my peers are honestly getting it from the internet if it's not coming from their parents, um, either just looking stuff up, hearing stuff on movies, or hearing it from the peers. I know um, Emma Rose, a friend of mine who's working with Teens for Reproductive Rights, she says she learned everything on the bus. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that goes for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Now, Molly, I see you nodding your head when Alice mentioned that a lot of her peers are getting that from the internet. Let me ask you, how would you like to change that? What would you like to see schools do when it comes to sex education and informing teens and young people about contraception? Um, I just think the stigma letting it get erased, and that's why I'm so excited for like Gen Z, especially like my generation to become these next educators, because I feel like there's a lot of that shame in older generations, but like a lot of my peers are just so comfortable with it. And I think that starts within the education system is to say, this is fine. This isn't scary. This is something to be ashamed of. This is your life. This is real. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to ask for help. Allison, how about you? What would you like to see change? I definitely agree. I want to see the shame taken out of it because that's something that I definitely remember is feeling embarrassed, listening to my teacher talking about this um, or feeling like this is some sort of like all my fault if something were to happen. So I think I really just want to see the shame taken out of it. All right. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about birth control. Tweet us your experiences and questions at This Is Nashville. So, you know, Molly, we were talking about your upbringing and the lacks of sex ed, but once you got to college, you mentioned that that changed. So tell me about that experience since you've been learning about contraception at a different level, a little bit more robustly in college. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started to make friends in college that came from clearly many different backgrounds. I mean, there was people from Nashville who came in more like open families to that sense. Like I had people who I had become friends with who had a similar upbringing to mine. And it was a lot easier to have these conversations with people because like I didn't grow up with them. So there was kind of a clean slate, first of all. And they definitely knew a lot more than I did. And there was a lot of um, stuff I had seen on Belmont's campus that involved like support groups for women, like groups of women talking about stuff like this. And um, I found a lot of help, like I said, uh, like Allison said, through the Internet Planned Parenthood's website definitely helped me a lot through that. And I leaned towards that um, a lot in my like freshman year of college in 2019. And that's how I found out about an IUD, actually. Um, so that's, I'm very grateful to grow up in an age, like the internet age to really help me. Otherwise, I don't know where I'd be. So you're saying like the internet can be helpful, but also there's misinformation out Absolutely. there to be aware of. 100%. Now, you know, you mentioned that you, you all have been mentioning the stigma that comes with this and, you know, were people, you, and you just said that 
you didn't know as much as some of your other peers mm -hmm. at Belmont. Were they open to educating you and talking to you about definitely. this? Definitely. I definitely think in a more open environment, there wasn't as much like, oh, shame on you for not knowing this. They're like, let's help you. Let's make this better for you and for other people. And I'm very grateful for that very much. Okay. Now, moving on to a more recent events, Bernicia, did the overturning of Roe versus Wade, did that make you concerned about your access to birth control? Definitely. Definitely. Um, it's scary. You know, I have three kids, as you guys um, heard. So, and one of them being a daughter and just, it makes my heart race now, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Like, I can't even, I don't even know how to explain it, honestly. Mm. It's it's a lot of emotion. It's a lot of it's a lot of tension behind it. I, I I personally, I know it's personal. I've had you know abortions myself, especially with me having a kid um, at 15, 16. Um, I vowed I'm like, okay, got on birth control. I don't want to have any more kids. So it was kind of glorified for me the birth control, um, not having that option to, you know, I had to. I needed to get to different levels before I was able to, you know, before I wanted to have more kids and things. So it was scary to know that if you do slip up or if you do have an accident or whatever the case may be, you're now in a situation where it's just you have to deal with it. Mm. Now, Molly, do you share some of the same fears that Bernicia has? Uh, absolutely. I was uh, talking to my therapist actually about this, about um, what that means for people. I graduate in the spring from Belmont and what this means for me in the workforce as a young adult and in my own independent life. Uh, what I have access to if there is an unplanned pregnancy and how that could derail my career very, very quickly because it's a commitment. I mean, pregnancy changes your life really for better or for worse. And so... I mean, if I'm unable to get that help, if something happens, what does that mean for my professional and academic journey? And that's the fear that instills in me personally. You know, birth control, it hasn't been access isn't really easy mm -hmm. or straightforward for a lot of people. And that fact is, regardless of the Supreme Court deliberations on health care, Bernicia, in your experience, what's your experience been like accessing contraception? Has it been relatively easy? I, I'm going to say yes, because once you enter the the motherhood life in terms of like doctors and stuff, that's something that they freely give. Like, do you want the birth control? I think you should get it. Yes. They give you a year supply. You know, once that year is up, sometimes depending on that doctor or that wasn't, you know, that was my OBGYN, then they'll renew it. Um, and in this case, um, the lady, she found my tweets. I didn't have a prescription anymore and couldn't get one. But luckily I had a job at that time that was corporate and I had insurance to be able to get my birth control for free. Had I not had the job with the insurance, it would have been $146. There was a time where between after I had my first son, um, I couldn't afford it and I didn't get it. And ultimately that's how I ended up having a second child um, because I didn't, I couldn't afford the birth control. Mm -hmm. Now, how old is your daughter? She's seven. She's seven. Now, mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned that you're just worried about the day where you have to have that conversation with her. Let, let me ask, let me direct this to Allison. Allison, you're a teenager. You know, what advice would you give to Bernicia or any parent out there who is a bit nervous about approaching this topic with their child? I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a little embarrassing. Maybe you might get a little anxious. I can definitely see, like, I having these conversations with my parents, like it definitely wasn't um, 
not embarrassing at all. Like everyone gets a little nervous, but I think just telling them the facts straight and even like maybe just sharing examples from your own life is really what's going to make them feel like they're not alone. Because I think whenever like you're talking about sitting down and having the talk, it can put fear in the children as well. Like what they're going to learn. Are they going to not be able to be a kid anymore? And just like sharing your own experience with it just makes everything a lot more comfortable. Okay. Now, after the break, we're going to invite a few experts to answer listener questions about contraception, including an OBGYN and a representative from Planned Parenthood. Want to know what questions you all have about birth control and or access to it in the future? Bernicia. Yes, sir. So um, I currently am not on birth control. I um, I've done my research now that I'm three kids in, in terms of how to fix the body and things of that nature. Will I get on it again? Probably not. Now that I'm smarter, I make smarter decisions now. Um, the access to it though, through my job with insurance, I do feel is a little more feasible. If I needed to go to my previous OBGYN, which I just had a baby 10, 10 months ago, um, I would definitely be able to get a prescription if wanted at no, no problem. He would definitely next day, same day. Mm-hmm. Allison, do you have any questions for our experts? Um, I mainly think just how for kids under the age of 18 that know that they want to go on birth control um, and don't have supporting parents, what's the best way to go about that? Molly. Um, I'm honestly, I'm just like, I don't know what to say at this point. Like, I guess I'm thinking, what does this mean for Gen Z? How will this like affect us and like our rights and kind of our intro into young adulthood? Because I mean, now like we're all in our 20s, basically. So we're not these like confused kids you can keep in the dark anymore. It's like this will affect us now. So I guess that's my question is how will this affect our generation? That was Molly Fox. She was joined by Bernicia McFerrin and Allison Nordstrom. I want to thank to you all for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion on birth control and answer your questions. And it's not too late to send those in. Just tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Kalona, and this is Nashville. We're talking this hour about birth control. We know that the overturning of Roe v. Wade could have implications for more than just access to abortion. What will it mean for our access to other types of reproductive health care? We've been soliciting your questions, and joining me now to answer them are Dr. Kimberly Looney, a practicing OBGYN, Ashley Cofield, CEO of Planned Parenthood of Tennessee and North Mississippi, and Vanderbilt Law Professor Ellen Clayton. Thanks to you all so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Okay, so I just want to get one innocuous question out of the way. Ellen, is birth control legal? Uh, yes. Um, I, I would say, with exception of, of actually the emergency contraception, and depending on how a uh, people decide to uh, interpret the trigger law, whether they're going to go after IUDs or not. 
Mm-hmm. That might really seem alarmist to ask that, but Ashley, I'm curious, have you all heard that question from people seeking care at Planned Parenthood? Yes, absolutely. We have had patients come in as soon as the Dobb decision was released. They were Their biggest question was, am I going to be able to continue to get an IUD or an implant, these long-acting forms of birth control, people wanted to replace the IUDs and implants that they had because they were concerned that there weren't, there wasn't enough time left on the IUD. Let's say they only had three or four years left on it, or maybe a couple of years left, and they wanted it, they wanted the 10-year option back. You know, they wanted to start from scratch because they didn't know what the future holds. And now, Dr. Looney, what does the present situation look like for people in Tennessee seeking birth control? Currently, all forms of birth control are available, right? Um, I think the fear is um, definitely a real concern, but right now, everything is still accessible. All right, so let's get to some listener questions, shall we? We've seen a few questions on social media about the differences between various birth control options. Specifically, what's the difference between hormonal and non-hormonal birth control? Dr. Looney? Well, exactly that. Hormonal birth control has some form of of hormones in it. Uh, There are combination hormonal drugs that have both estrogen and progesterone, which are two naturally occurring hormones that we make as uh, females. And then also there are what we call progesterone only, which are provide a, a wider safety margin for a lot of people, particularly if they have a complicated medical history. Non hormonal are those things that act without the necessity of any of those hormones, the estrogen or progesterone. So that would be condoms, your copper IUD, and then certain natural family planning methods such as timing your periods uh, or withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Ashley, what methods of contraception does Planned Parenthood offer? Well, we offer all forms of FDA-approved contraception. I'm really happy to be joined today by Dr. Looney, who was our chief medical officer up until recently and um, and the expert on contraception on this call. Um, we, we, do, we do provide all forms. For people who don't have insurance, we offer long-acting forms of contraception like IUDs and implants and the birth control shot free of charge. We do not charge our patients for those devices, our birth control. For teens age 19 and younger who do not have insurance or who don't want to use their insurance for confidentiality reasons, we provide all of our family planning, including the visits, STI testing and treatment, um, any form of birth control free of charge. And to answer one of the young ladies' questions um, previously, um, in Tennessee, Teens can consent for birth control without uh, parental involvement. And again, at Planned Parenthood, that would be free of charge. Okay. Now, have you seen a rise in people seeking birth control since the Dobbs decision? Absolutely. We have been inundated with questions and concern and people coming in to make sure that they have the best option for them right now. There's a lot of fear out there um, that that, that wasn't there before. Um, We've also had a lot of men coming into our health centers and purchasing emergency contraception. Okay. Now, we've been asking folks to write in with their questions, and here's one we got from Lydia Henry. She writes, um, what does the Dobbs decision mean for people with IUDs thinking about getting one? Ashley. Uh, it's a great it's a great long term option. Um, it provides excellent uh, birth control for a long period of time. There's high upfront costs, and that's why we're offering that without cost to our patients. 
um, if you're insured, um, you should have coverage for an IUD because the Affordable Care Act requires insurers to provide first dollar coverage for birth control of any type that you elect. Unfortunately, we've, we have a lot of patients who come in with insurance and we find that they don't have that coverage. Um, and it's, it's very frustrating that not everybody is compliant with that law or that there are lots of rules and barriers put into place um, that gets uh, insurance companies around that requirement. Um, but most people who have insurance, including folks who are on TenCare, should have 100% coverage for an IUD. Now, you mentioned that you've seen a greater number of men asking and inquiring about emergency contraceptives. I'm wondering about vasectomies. Have you seen an uptick in that? We don't provide um, vasectomies at Planned Parenthood right now. We do plan to provide that service in the future. We have seen a lot of men calling us and asking about vasectomy. It's not something that's easily accessible to men in Tennessee who don't have insurance. Um, so it's something that we're definitely going to look at. Okay. Now on, on Reddit, you know, some Tennesseans are asking if they can replace their IUDs early. Um, and it was, it was alluded to a little bit earlier by Ashley, but, you know, they're doing this in an attempt to prolong used so because their fear of an eventual ban of long acting contraception you know ellen tell us is that fear is that fear warranted well i think that's hard to say um and i think it's hard to say certainly justice thomas's uh, uh opinion was really quite concerning uh the majority uh, tried very hard to say that Dobbs was only about abortion and that it didn't apply to other things. But frankly, any of the um, decisions that have to do with individual liberty, like contraception, like gay marriage, like gay sex, um, and actually a variety of others, I think, are now subject to, be, uh, to being overturned. Um, I think the other issue to consider with regard to IUDs is that the language of the new stat of the trigger ban is sufficiently vague that um, that decide if there were a really uh, if there were really aggressive prosecutor um, that they could p potentially bring a case. On the other hand, I think that the state of Tennessee has been very uh, uh, proactive in terms of permitting contraception, um, including to minors. That's required by the U.S. Constitution at present as well. But um, but they've been uh, very proactive in that area. So I think this next session is going to be really um, is going to be really telling to decide uh, what first of all our legislature is going to do, what our prosecutors decide to do, and of course it's going to be very interested to see if the court decides to take up. Uh, Justice Thomas's uh, invitation. I think the court is probably pretty surprised at how uh, how mad people are. Mm -hmm. So maybe um, they may decide that that matters after all. Now, Dr. Looney, I saw you nod your head in agreement when Ellen mentioned how the trigger ban laws around IUDs are very, very vague. You know, so is that something you would recommend to patients getting an IUD replaced early, considering that vagueness? I don't know if I would recommend that they get it replaced early. I just recommend IUDs and long-acting contraception in general. You asked Ashley the question earlier about the young lady who asked the question about what does an IUD mean now that we've had this DOP decision. For me, frankly, it is your best defense that you have at this point uh, for unplanned pregnancy. Um, and not just the IUD, but also the implant, which is long-acting. Those are going to be 
uh, for most patients, just the best medical decision making that they can make for, you know, their health, but also for their families uh, and careers and everything else that is protected uh, when you, you know, avoid unplanned pregnancy. Um, the litigation, uh, like Dr. Clayton said, is extremely ambiguous. And for those of us in the medical field, it makes it extremely complex as to how we address these problems to the best uh, benefit for our patients. So if a person has the ability to to flip an IUD early, um, you know, without it being a substantial cost, I definitely understand that and would, you know, support that. Um, but there are going to be situations where people can't afford to do that. And so I would say, you know, hold on and hang on and, and you know, and let's see where this ride is going to take us. But uh, I do caution people to take it out early for the simple fact that you, you your insurance may not cover it. And now you're stuck out there on an island without, you know, a way to get back. Another one of our listeners asks, are there doctors in Nashville who will perform tubal ligation, tying tubes? You know, what is that process like? And can there be pushback for individuals who do not have children? Dr. Looney. Uh, yes, there are plenty of physicians that still perform tubal ligation. Uh, can there be pushback if you don't have children? Absolutely. Uh, and I want to be fair about that. Uh, I think that it comes from a good place, although it can present an obstacle to health care for the patient. I, I think the biggest concern for a physician, and I, and I have this discussion quite often because in my career I am meeting more women, uh, regardless of their age, who know I don't want to be a mother ever. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think from the doctor's perspective, you're concerned about doing something permanent that will forever change her life because you don't know what circumstances bringing her to that decision right now. For instance, like the Dobb decision, putting you in a panic and now you're saying, let me go ahead and enact this. Um, so a doctor is always going to be hesitant to do something permanent particularly when there are other options like an IUD or an implant that offer the same benefit. They're not permanent, but they last so long, we tend to refer to them as semi-permanent and they have very similar failure rates. It's much easier for us to put you in something like that so that if life changes for you down the road and you say, you know what, I actually want to be a mom, there's no harm, no foul. You can now take that device out and, and still keep your fertility. Or if you decide years down the road, I still don't want to be a mom, now transition into a tubal ligation. So, yeah, that can be pushed back. Kind of talking about long term, here's another question for you from TikTok. Can taking the birth control pill impact fertility long term? Not long term, but it can impact fertility, but not in the way that people think. Most people think the longer I'm on a birth control pill or any type of birth control, the less chance I have of getting pregnant. That is actually untrue. A lot of the times when you stop a form of contraception, regardless whether that's the pill or anything else, there's kind of what we call this kind of rebound surge response where it's actually more likely for you to get pregnant. Mm. Um, but no, no contraception affect, affects your ability long term in terms of leading you to infertility. STDs do that, okay. not contraception. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're answering your questions about birth control this hour. My guests are OBGYN Dr. Kimberly Looney, Vanderbilt Law Professor Ellen Clayton, and Ashley Colefield from Planned Parenthood. So yesterday, Metro Council members Emily Benedict, Delicia Porterfield, and Sandra Sepulveda filed a bill that would provide free birth control to all Nashvillians. That would also include family planning counseling and birth control counseling. 
Ellen, let's say this does pass and it gets funded. Is this the kind of measure that would still hold up if contraception were banned statewide? Uh, I think the likelihood that contraception is going to be banned statewide is extremely small. Um, I think whatever the leverage is for, uh, whatever the, you know, the, Whatever the debate is about abortion, I think that the availability of contraception is, at least from patients, is actually widely supported. And the people who are refusing to fund it are people who, for religious reasons, don't think this is a good idea. So so let me just say that if there were such a ban, um, then I think you know we would have to see whether uh, whether that ban would be sustainable. Um, under current constitutional law, that would require repudiating Griswold versus Connecticut, Eisenstadt versus Baird, to, which say that individuals have a right to get access to contraception. So there would be many steps that had to come into play. Uh, I, I think that that would be, um, I, as, as afraid as I am of this court, um, I think that would really be an enormous change in our law and in our culture. And I think that that would lead to enormous pushback. And frankly, I think that this is an area where Congress might well step in and say, women have to have access to contraception. Men have to have access to contraception. And frankly, um, I, um, I mean, they did that in the Affordable Care Act. And I think, uh, and so, um, so I think that's what would happen. You know, earlier this hour, we spoke to our guests about sexual education. And so has the Dobbs, well, let me rephrase that, will the Dobbs decision affect our sexual ed curriculum here in Tennessee? Um, our, you know, our sexual ed curriculum here in Tennessee already has limitations that have been put on it by the legislature. So it's not, um, it's already not in a good place. And I think that's why the young women who were, um, speaking with you before us had received so little of it and so little uh, sex education that was really applicable to their lives and their experiences. Um, at Planned Parenthood, we uh, have a program where we uh, train young people to be peer educators so that they can educate their friends. They can be that voice on the bus um, that they were talking about to give people accurate information. Now, Dr. Looney, how does the lack of proper sexual education, how does that affect the people who come to you for care? Well, it makes my job harder. Let's, mm. let's start there, because um, I think one of the issues with our school systems in general is, and, and this is probably more of a, a U.S. problem than some other countries, is that we don't acknowledge that sexuality is a normal part of growth. Mm -hmm. And so when I then see patients who haven't had proper education, uh, you have to start from the ground up, teaching them about their bodies and then about what experiences for them are, are normal and healthy experiences and then figure out what their needs are and what things are out there. It all, You also spend a great deal of time uh, trying to eliminate misconceptions about contraception and the benefits of those. Um, Prior to our call, the young lady uh, that was here from Belmont, we had a wonderful conversation about her understanding of the non-contraceptive benefits of the contraception she was using, which most people don't have. Mm -hmm. um, we think about birth control as preventing pregnancy only and forget sometimes that they help with our other medical concerns. Now, Ashley, what is Planned Parenthood doing to kind of fight the misinformation that's out there? 
Well, that's a huge task. Um, we have, you know, we fight hard within our health centers to provide people accurate information as they show up for care. We have our comprehensive sex education programs across the state, um, and we work with lots of different partner organizations to, um, you know, to, to provide opportunities for accurate sex education. We have our sexperts program that goes to college campuses because kids who are in college, as we heard today, they didn't get good sex ed in middle school or high school, so they come to college really not knowing much of anything. So we're starting from scratch, oftentimes with our college age programs, giving them really basic information and going from there in an age appropriate way. Um, and we also have our advocacy programs where we're teaching people about how um, how Tennessee works um, from a legislative and legal perspective, how we can start from scratch to get back our rights here in Tennessee. We have programs in all those areas. Now, we the issue of access and affordability came up earlier in the hour. We came across a tweet from a Nashville resident. It says, my insurance stopped covering my NuvaRing. Why is that allowed? Ashley, can you answer this question? Uh. Ellen might be better at answering this, but I mean, you know, again, the Affordable Care Act uh, requires insurers to cover all FDA approved forms of birth control with first dollar coverage. Um, but we have found through our experience at Planned Parenthood that this is not always the case, that insurance companies find ways to get around this law. They put rules into place that make it difficult for patients to figure out what they have coverage for. So I can't answer that specifically, um, but... I encourage people to call their insurance company and ask a lot of questions. Ellen, can you give it a shot? And the other thing that I would say is they also need to see who their employer is because, you know, we saw in Hobby Lobby and a number of other cases that followed that, that the Supreme Court has said that religious objections by the employer, no matter how distant or how broad, um, are grounds for refusing to provide uh, contraceptives if they think that it violates their religious beliefs. So, I mean, that's another part of what's going on with the court at the moment is that um, is that uh, that is allowed to supersede everything else. I wanted to make a comment about education in schools, which is that uh, it's really important to realize that good sex ed in public education is actually not permitted in Tennessee. And so we should not be surprised by this. I would hope that the legislature would say that if we don't want those young people getting pregnant, that maybe they need to know how not to. Mm. You know, we recently got a tweet from a listener, quote, can you please comment on the long-term health benefits of birth control beyond what it says on the tin? Dr. Looney? Long-term benefits of contraception yes. outside of, of course, preventing an, an untimed pregnancy, which can disrupt education and career. Uh, but depending on the contraception, there are some cancer-preventing um, benefits, such as birth control pills can prevent, uh, well, not prevent, but decrease the risk of ovarian cancer uh, and uterine cancer. There are also help with things like acne, mood, um, dysmenorrhea, where you have painful periods. Uh, Menorrhagia, where you have heavy periods. Uh, so there are quite a few, and, and we use them very commonly for those things. Now, Ashley, we want to get to some resources. What are viable resources for anyone looking to learn more about birth control? Where can they find that information? 
Well, one of the women who young women who were on previously said that she went to the Planned Parenthood website, and it is really a great website. It's chock full of information about all different forms of birth control, the range of options that Dr. Looney um, mentioned, and what the pros and cons of each of those are for not just prevention of pregnancy, but for other health conditions as well. Now, you know, Ellen... The Dobbs decision doesn't affect our access to contraception, but I'm really curious. What do you think the future holds? Do you think our right to birth control is in jeopardy? Well, I actually don't think so. Um, I think that this is, uh, I think that there would be such pushback that um, I think that that would get in the way. Do I think it's at risk? Yes. Um, But I I think that those who have been proponents of the extremely harsh abortion laws that many states, including ours, are uh, dealing with, have been sort of surprised at how unhappy women have been and how unhappy men have been. And we saw this in Kansas. And so I I am hopeful. Um, maybe I'm being a Pollyanna here, but I'm actually hopeful that maybe we've got their um, the legislators' attention about this issue. Now, you know, Dr. Lena, you were nodding your head. We have 30 seconds left. You know, is there anything that we didn't talk about this hour that you want our listeners to know about birth control? 30 seconds. Go get you some. Wherever mm-hmm. you can get it, go get you some. Utilize it. If you don't know and understand it, talk to someone with great information about birth control. All right. All right. I want to thank you all so much for coming on to the show, and thank you for having this very, very important conversation. That was Dr. Kimberly Looney practicing OBGYN. She was joined by Ashley Cofield, who is the CEO of Planned Parenthood of Tennessee and North Mississippi, and Vanderbilt Law Professor Ellen Clayton. Again, thanks to you all for being with us today. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, the U.S. Department of Education just issued a $1.7 million grant to address the lack of teacher diversity in Tennessee. We'll find out where exactly teachers are needed and how the districts plan to address the problem. Tune in. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harush and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is... And Cindy Abrams, our digital lead, is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.